Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are we gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, where a couple of homos talk about the latest movie theater releases from our own queer ass perspectives. My name is Jason Leroy. And my name is Rebecca Olarte, and today we have a very special show, and we're going to be covering um, three movies, The Witch, A War, and The Club, all all very uh, small Succinct. title movies. Um, and we also have two special guests. Uh, for a discussion of The Witch, we welcome Joshua Grinnell, a.k.a. Peaches Christ, and for The Club, we'll be chatting with the Bloodlust contributor, Lindsay Gebhardt. And then as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with uh, Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back. Life is too short for that, miss. Let's get started. Uh, Let's talk about The Witch. In 1630 New England, panic and despair envelops a farmer, his wife, and four of their children when youngest son Samuel suddenly vanishes. The family blames Thomason, the oldest daughter who was watching the boy at the time of his disappearance. With suspicion and paranoia mounting, twin siblings Mercy and Jonas suspect Thomason of witchcraft testing the clan's faith, loyalty, and love to one another. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. So first off, we'd like to welcome our very special guest, first time in-house guest, horror filmmaker Joshua Grinnell, who many of you may have known best as cult movie queen, Peaches Christ. Yay! Thank you. Wow. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. I'm a fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. You're too sweet. And we are a fan of your work as well. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we might be familiar with it. Um, so let's start off by establishing your horror movie cred. Um, Jason and I have none. We are not not <laughs> really? specialists in horror movies. Not even fans. Oh, we're, yeah. I would say fans, but I would say that like my fandom definitely pales to yours. I uh, di- I was the kid who had every horror poster, you know, all the classics and. Uh, and more, you know, in high school. Like, my parents were concerned. <laughs> not, not because I was queer. They knew I was queer, but they... And, and believe it or not, when I wasn't home, I found out later they had our, our family priest bless my bedroom. <laughs> really? Yeah, because it was like, you know, I'd pick, pick posters of Hellraiser right. and, you know, all that stuff. Freddy Krueger. Oh, my gosh. So I, I definitely have been a horror fan for a long time. Longtime subscriber to Fangoria magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and like all kinds of horror, you know, from Vincent Price to the slasher films to, you know, uh, monster movies, sci-fi horror, you know, aliens, things mm-hmm. like that. What what are your favorite horror films? I am not a horror movie fan. So <laughs> at all. Rosemary's Baby? Oh, well that's fabulous. And actually uh, Which just makes uh, you sound like a pretentious asshole. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's one of the films that was brought up at, at the screening that we're going to oh, discuss. Oh, really? It yeah. was. It was. It was brought up as a point of reference for yeah. the witch. Yeah. What's your favorite horror film, Jason? Oh, man. See, you pass. Rosemary's yeah. Baby is totally oh, passable. Yeah, yeah, no judgment there. Can I guess? Are you going to say 13 hours? 
<laughs> that was uh, a an, uh, Michael Bay, the Michael Bay Benghazi movie. Oh <laughs> Is, God, I never saw it. Or I could do Jamie Kennedy's answer from Scream Two and say Showgirls. <laughs> so I'll stick with that. Oh, that's <laughs> but, uh, funny. But but if I was being more serious, I'd probably say the other movie that was discussed at length last night, which was The Shining. Right. I think as far as the movie that just scares me more than anything else, it's probably that one. Yeah, and that might be, I mean, not just horror movies, like yeah, just top all. five mo- favorite movies of all time. It's a, yeah. That's a perfect film. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, and a more recent horror movie that really did scare the shit out of me is, is Insidious. Mm-hmm. Insidious yeah. scared me. Yeah, it was I did good. not see it coming. You know, it's a PG-13. It's not gory. And it just, like, it was able to scare me in a way that, like, I was reliving childhood nightmares. Like, it felt like when you're, you, you know, those kinds of especially vivid nightmares you have when you're a kid. Because and, of the uh, other side stuff? And because, like, there was that scene where um, I think Rose Byrne is lying in bed. And then she sees, like, a figure walk by a shadow or, like, walk by a window. And then it suddenly just walks right into the room, like, through a wall. And is, like, walking toward her. Uh-huh. And it just felt like the kind of child dream logic where like something can just walk through a wall and just be in front of you. You know what else made me feel that way is in it follows. Uh-huh. Whenever the, oh, the yeah. creature emerges, that really tall guy walks out of yeah. the like oh, full, all those sequences. Full body, full body yeah. chills. That they were brilliant. That, oh, that my it God. follows mm-hmm. kind of sequences. And I liked Insidious as well, but a lot of people, a lot of young people don't know that Insidious should also, you know, just be called basically poltergeist. Yes. You know. Really? I've never <laughs> oh, yeah. seen poltergeist. If, if you if yes. you kind of break down the script <laughs> and the screenplay, I mean really even down to the beats and things. Uh, it was it was a little too familiar, and really? so as a as a kid yeah. of the eighties watching Insidious, I kept going like, "This is Poltergeist!" <laughs> and, well, oh my god, they're doing that too, you know? That is a very valid point. <laughs> what is it about horror movies, that, since you guys both appreciate so much, that that you find most most fulfilling or most entertaining? I think for me, as a, a queer kid, um, grew up growing up like feeling outsiderish and strange and not like I fit in, and I was bullied to some degree, and I was a sissy. I used to think I was the only gay man who liked horror movies because it doesn't sort uh. of it doesn't fit with the uh, the idea of camp culture and gay icon iconography, right? But I found later, um, no, lots and lots of queer men. Um, like horror movies and and maybe women too I'm not sure but I know for the men I do believe that there's some sort of like way of exercising our fears mm-hmm. um, through mm-hmm. these films and also our fantasies oftentimes mm-hmm. the underdogs win in these movies right and um, and I actually would argue you know there's been lots of talk about the films the genre being um, sexist and mm-hmm. problematic for women a lot of the movies that I was most drawn to were like, like the first Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the Scream Queen ends up being this really mm-hmm. strong heroine in the end. You know, it was Nancy who figured out how Freddie was, you know, haunting her and she she went to the library and got all the booby traps and, you know, I loved Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween mm-hmm. and she was the sort of the nerdy right. babysitter. You know, she wasn't the blonde, beautiful bombshell. Right. So like the cheerleaders and the jocks usually got killed off. Right. And it was sort <laughs> right. of the uh, the thinking nerd. And so I identified with those kind of characters. You so know? as a queer kid, it like even the playing field, like someone like kind a murderer is out or a ghost is out. It's going to kill everybody sort of regardless. That's exactly. And now it. you're all in the same boat together. There's no like preference to. I think it f- fulfilled a lot of that fantasy because mm-hmm. like I. 
I grew up at a time pre-Columbine. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, there wasn't, and I would never, I was not a violent person. I'm still not a violent person. I'm <laughs> the opposite of that. And a lot of horror filmmakers, actually, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, mm-hmm. um, tend to be really overly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things... Um, they have in common is people assume like oh these men must be just awful Mm -hmm. you know it's actually no they're quite sensitive and feel things really deeply and don't know how to deal with the world Mm -hmm. and can't deal with the atrocities of things like war you know like I can't really watch the news and not feel it like completely Um, and if we start talking about Syria I might cry you know like Mm -hmm. we're I think deeply sensitive people and so I think horror films are a safe place for Mm -hmm. us to sort Mm -hmm. of exercise Fears in yes, a way. Catharsis. Yeah. Um, so now let's dig into the witch. Yes. <laughs> um, so this premiered at Sundance last January. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, there's been a lot of buzz and excitement. Um, it's just gotten larger and larger since. Um, was it is it worth it? Is the was the buzz does it live up to the buzz? <laughs> well, I think the buzz it might be one of those things where the buzz hurts it in the long run. That's how I was feeling last night a little okay. bit. I thought that the the way the trailer was cut and the buzz around it. Now I could be in the minority, you right. know. Um, I remember we we you know I ran movie theaters for years and years, and I ran the Bridge Theater here in San Francisco. We had the exclusive on um, the Blair Witch Project, mm. which of course mm. was the rocker of all rockers yep. of Sundance. You know where. Yeah. People freaked out, and I grew up in Maryland. I knew people who made the movie. Um, I remember that opening week, people being really disappointed right. because mm-hmm. between Sundance and its theatrical, there was almost too much buzz yeah. for it to live up to. And for The Witch, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't some of that same sentiment. Because today, yeah. a day later, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it actually was really good. You know, I do think it was really good. Mm-hmm. But immediately following the film, I was kind of underwhelmed. Yeah. Like that was my, 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 I kind of was bored through some of it. Yeah. And yeah. Jason and I were talking about it last night, not not to sort of get super um, technically weird about it, but the particular screening we went to might have had something to do with it because we, we were off to the side mm-hmm. and they are using this sort of old archaic form of English um, yeah, that's okay. authentic. Yeah. Um, but I still couldn't. It was a- almost gibberish to me. Like, and I think part of it was that we just weren't sitting where the speakers were. Oh. Like, yeah. And because he had actually seen it before, so mm-hmm. he could verify that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I saw this at uh, Toronto last year. And uh, and speaking briefly to the idea of festival buzz, there's this thing that happens at film festivals where it's just this sort of like self-contained bubble where you know, everyone's talking to everyone about what they're seeing. And it's not it's not a realistic way to watch movies. It's a very heightened atmosphere. It's a bunch of people who do this for a living or for their jobs or for their passions who are watching, you know, like four or five, six movies a day. And, you know, you're, and you're just looking for that one little thing different to just like spark your interest and your imagination. And you just and you're like, you want to be the first person to tell everyone I saw this movie and I saw it at 8 a.m. this morning and mm-hmm. it was amazing and you should all go see it. It's going to go places. And and I think that that kind of breeds this over buzz, this overkill buzz. And I think The Witch is very much an example of that, because whenever it premiered at Sundance and then A24 bought it, um, the posts about it were like messianic, like horror has forever changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, this is a new classic and this will be on the shelf alongside Rosemary's baby, alongside the shining. And I just, I think that's a, that's, that's a tall order to fill. And I just don't think that that's where it is. But, but to what Josh was saying about the specific screening we saw um, the, the weird thing. So we saw it at the, at the new mission Alamo draft house 
in the main auditorium and it seemed like the audio was in mono like it was oh. only coming from the front of uh, the, the audio was only coming from like the screen it was not coming in like a stereo surround way which the theater is equipped to do. I mean, this right, is like supposed to be the yeah. latest and greatest theater. And, you know, anyone who's seen Star Wars there, you know, which is like half of San Francisco, knows that, like, it is incredible mm-hmm. sound system. But it was really failing us. Like, I remember, you know, seeing the movie the first time and being like, okay, this is an old English because the rare director used a lot of original uh, uh, sort of documents from this, this period, from the 17th century, um, and used direct quotes from, like, transcripts of court trials of witches and and accounts of witchery and things like that so he really wanted to feel very authentic in it and i think that works and we can get to that uh but yeah so it was really hard to understand and i hope this is not the way it's always going to be screened there because mm-hmm. we had a hard time understanding what was being said and that's further exacerbated by the fact that it is an old english so and maybe this is because joshua you're a filmmaker were there anything other like notes that you had that you felt like a as a filmmaker you picked out in particular well i i was saying to jason last night like i and i like uh dark films and and i mean that literally uh, the, the light like batman dark yeah it was so dark um that i i was thinking too like because i started to feel like oh my god i'm, I'm turning into like an old movie guard like <laughs> i can't hear it i i want to ask someone what what are they what did they say and then i and then i felt like i couldn't see it you know like where where stuff you clearly stuff was going on right. and it was horror stuff and the lighting was so minimal and even yeah. for outdoor exterior scenes where it's daytime it was so muted and so dim and so gray mm-hmm. that i actually started to feel um like th- that that it wasn't working for me you know it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't creating um, I get it. Like the dark is creepy, but I actually was starting to get just kind of frustrated by it yeah. and just wanting the movie to move along. It was more you know? distracting at that point. Yes. It's distracting as a viewer. You can't really make that connection with the movie if you're too busy, like straining to see what's even happening. Right. And I never knew what my grandparents meant growing up when we'd go see a movie and they'd say like, it's too dark. <laughs> and now I, now I get it. Because when you're just, when you're sitting there just like, I don't even know what I'm looking Which at. Which is really the scariest thing of all. You're all aging <laughs> when you at a rapid rate and your well, body's falling apart. <laughs> and, and it the, worked. It's a horror movie. Yay! And this, I'm scared. That's on its way. But the other caveat to all of this, too, is I'm a projectionist, right? Right. Oh, okay. So, so now I'm starting to go... Well, there's no way that the bulb in this this projector could be, you know, fading. They opened this theater a month ago. Right. Like it's state of the art. Same thing with the sound system. And presentationally, I don't know what was going on, but they started changing the masking during the movie. Which so is the, yeah, the oh yeah, the dark screens that come in on the sides mm-hmm. to kind of frame the image, so you could hear the motor, you know, <laughs> what? while the movie's yes, going. Literally. So, wait, were these things happening when you saw it in Toronto? No, absolutely not. How about the darkness? No, it was it wasn't it wasn't an intentional frame change. It wasn't an intentional like it aspect ratio change. Weird. It was like because I noticed that you know that the that it, the masking was not aligned Correct. with the yeah. picture for the first half of the movie, and then midway through they just decide to just experiment. So they just like start to like push it in really close, and then they kind of pull it back a little. Then they push it in again. They pull it a little bit further back, and they kind of push it in. Like it was so it could not have been more distracting. And yeah, you, know, you either do that in the first like 30 seconds yeah. of the feet you know if you you haven't fixed it 
by the start of the feature. And you, you, your projection is, to, okay, I'm going to fix it now, but not 30 minutes, an hour into the feature. You just you have know? to commit to what you've done at you that point. You just leave it alone because at that point, yeah. everyone's adjusted to it. Right, exactly. And no one's looking at that yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah right. I didn't care. That the, like Once I, I noticed initially that the masking wasn't lined up with the picture, and I was like, oh, well. You know, it wasn't distracting, and then it became very distracting. <laughs> but I do think it's telling that these things, yeah. in a lot of ways, are what I'm taking away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if I'm really into a movie, I sort of will just, especially by the end, you mm-hmm. know, by the third act, yeah. um, have forgotten about that kind right. of stuff. You'd have to remind me. And I, I, so I found myself, like, really easily distracted. I didn't particularly think it was that terrifying, you know, mm-hmm. you know, kind of was led to believe it was going to be super scary. Right. Um, I, I thought some of it was really exciting and um, fresh. You know, there, there are some, there's at least one shot that's very kind of taboo <laughs> as far as an incest kind of thing goes. Yeah. Exciting. And yes. there's this sort of a, a, a youth, a, sort of playfulness around sexuality amongst, you know, a really young character that I thought was pretty audacious. Yeah. Um, And then all of the sort of, I don't know, I guess you'd say um, authentically classic witch sort of tropes being brought back into, you know, a genre film Mm -hmm. where really he's gone back to basics. You know, he's really gone back to like, okay, people believed witches could do this people right. believed witches used goats this way or that you know that i, I thought was really cool i really mm-hmm. liked it yeah um, the tone is all very matter of fact mm-hmm. uh it feels almost like he's made a documentary like a thought that i had the first time i watched it and i had again last night was that it seems almost like this movie was as if the ability to make a film was suddenly just available in the 17th century and then everyone got together and made this one movie and then it was just lost for 400 <laughs> years and then it was recovered uh like it feels very out of time and there's there's no modern tells there's nothing anachronistic about it there's nothing in the performances especially i think the actors had to really shoulder that burden because i think as an actor it's so hard to know when you're doing like a modern reaction to something because it's just all you've ever known so you have to really take yourself out of any kind of quick kind of eye rolls or you know things like that that you might just instinctively do uh so it feels very it's just very yeah it's very very i think the kubrick connections that people kept making in the q a afterward which we can get to um i think it's because it has a kind of kubrickian detachment from what it's from what it's showing Mm -hmm. it's very dispassionate and he he smartly chose or he cast actors that weren't recognizable no at least not to me and um and yeah, I think that where it really succeeds was the set, the costuming, the sort of um, simplicity with which he presented it um, is so believable. Mm-hmm. Except sometimes I did think that their costumes were too clean. You know, I was like, <laughs> right. I, was, I was looking at like, you know, they have these pristine white collars and things. And I was thinking like, <laughs> I doubt it. But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a small criticism, you know. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned the acting, which is not something yeah. that comes up a lot in horror movies. How, how would you? What is your response to the acting? I mean, I think they were all they were all perfect. Uh, yeah. The the young actress who plays the the central character, this teenage girl, I believe her name is like Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, she's a discovery. I mean, she. I think she looks like someone and performs like someone you feel like you should know. Yeah, because I was watching it thinking. Who is she? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she must be in right. tons of movies. Exactly. I just don't know who she is. But right. then to yeah. find out later that she's 
very pretty yeah. much unknown. Right. You know, you think she's on like Pretty Little Liars or something. She looks right. like yeah, she's very and she's like she's TV pretty. She uh, is TV pretty, <laughs> yeah. which is something that I actually would say to me. Um, I, I wish he had gone all the way mm. because if it were Stanley Kubrick, right, or Brian De Palma. The actress would have looked like a Shelley Duvall yeah, or Sissy exactly. Spacek. Yes. She would have mm-hmm. been allowed to have acne. She would have been mm-hmm. allowed to be a little bit odd or off or look like a young girl who grew up on a farm with fucked up teeth. And right. you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you really were going to go all That's the way, true. you yeah. know, you should probably have cast out of like Appalachia or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, right. I'm just saying like there was that yeah. that she's part very... of it where you're, you still know you're watching a movie because she was beautiful. Yeah, she's, she's a striking. gorgeous, fresh faced girl. Yeah. Uh, but there's of the main cast there's at least I don't know if she's underage but there are three minors at least in the principal cast and they're all incredible uh, yeah. they're really like it's in, it, it could have gone left really easily especially because two of them are very young uh, uh, and and they're they're really perfect they give the film exactly what it needs uh, w- one thing that I would say about the overall sort of scope of the movie and what to expect is expect the first half to be slow as fuck. Yeah. Like nothing happens in the first 45 minutes or so of this movie. Like it's very, it's a very, this is like the definition of like a slow burn horror film. And, uh, and it's to the point where as it's leading to its actual conclusion, a modern audience might think, okay, so now it's building up to its third act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but actually that's the end. Uh, so it kind of, and that's when, whenever I first saw it, um, when the credits came up, I, I, it was one of those times when out loud, I went, what? <laughs> that's it. And, you know, and not to be like that guy, you know, who's like, ah, this movie ended too abruptly. Meh. Uh, but like, I was like, I was, start, I was finally enjoying myself is what I think what was the problem was. I'm like, oh, now things are getting interesting. And then it ends. Yes. Uh, I think in his mind, I mean, I, and it obviously must work for some people uh, when that momentum kicks in and those, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on it, the, I can see how, especially maybe even in screenplay form, yeah. you'd think, okay, this is a satisfying third act. Mm-hmm. But I totally agree with Jason that, that, and we're also trained as audiences to sort of have certain expectations. Right. But, but The Shining, a slow burn horror film, but you could never argue that that third mm-hmm. act isn't just right. insane and it right. just goes on and on and on. I mean, the axe coming through the door is just part of it. The maze, the whole mm-hmm. thing, you know, whereas this is just, you just feel like it's just starting to go there yeah. and then it kind of, you know. And then it's over. Yeah. And then one thing we were talking about last night was when the title cards come up. So when the film cuts to black and it says written and directed by Robert Eggers. And then after that, there's a title card that says like, this was drawn from transcripts, word for word, da 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 da, and it almost struck us as an apology of sorts. Where like, at, so he throws you the right and directed, you know, dramatic title credit of like, boom, the end. Here's where our director, and you're like, what? And then just as you're like feeling all this outrage as the movie ended that way, then he shows you the title card saying like, by the way, this is all very academic. And as if to be like, so calm down if you're angry. Like, this is the way it was back then. So he says, shut up, Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, Robert Eggers, as you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. was there for the Q&A that you guys attended along with Chris Columbus. And that's Home Alone, Chris Columbus? Yeah, the same one. Both both Jason and I looked at each other and said, like, is this uh, Harry Potter, Chris Columbus? <laughs> like, Mrs. Doubtfire, Chris Columbus? And, um, yeah. and it was. He was the EP. I guess he and his 
daughter, mm-hmm. I think it is, or maybe his yeah. children, have a production company. Um, Maiden Voyage. Maiden Voyage, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, and he described it, and it sounds very cool. But specifically interested in first-time directors, oh, yeah, that's nice. and 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 creating uh, work that um, hasn't been seen before by filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was their third feature, I believe, yeah. and um, and I thought that was so exciting because honestly, um, Chris Columbus uh, to me is so terrible in a lot of ways like you know i mean i i I hope your listeners don't think i'm too big of a jerk i'm usually i'm usually such a fan but i mean like you know like the two worst harry potter movies you know what i mean i I thought rent was terrible you know like um he, and Mrs. Doubtfire is fine, yeah. you know, whatever. But. He's been off for a while. He had a good first decade mm-hmm. with Avengers of Babysitting and the Home Alone movies and Mrs. Doubtfire and even nine months. <laughs> but, oh, did he do nine months? He did nine oh months. Oh, my God, I just saw that. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I was on a, cr- a cruise and you don't have a lot of um, choices and I was painting my face to be peaches and right. it was on in the background and that makes total, <laughs> yes. total sense that it's him. Yes. You know, that, I mean. And that was the one, the press tour ruined that one because that was when Hugh Grant got busted for getting the blowjob from oh, the prostitute. God. That yeah. was just almost unwatchable, you know? <laughs> yeah, anyway, the, the thing I thought after we left was like, mm-hmm. how cool of this guy who obviously has a lot of money and a lot of clout. Right. You know, a lot of people don't want to invest in first-time filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And, and I think The Witch is a really great... I hope people, at least from my point of view, um, realize that the movie's interesting it's mm-hmm. got a lot to offer and and if anything i hope maybe this show sort of maybe lowers your expectations yeah. as far as the fear factor mm-hmm. goes mm-hmm. and the sort of groundbreaking work because i do think that you know the hype can really hurt you know uh, even the trailer is cut in a way that is misleading i think yeah um you know the trailer is very um exciting and visually interesting um and it it to me is a little I don't know it it it, it, it I mean it's it sets just, you up. It's a great trailer in the sense that it makes you definitely want to watch it mm-hmm. and think like this movie is going to give me something I've never seen before. This movie is going to rewrite the rules on what horror films can be, and but it's just the movie doesn't quite follow through on the promises that are made by the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say like while you were talking, I was thinking like well at least there's like some unforgettable imagery in this movie. But then I remembered that when we were watching it last night. I was like, oh, I forgot about this part. So, oh, right. all the, all the, so all those scenes where I was like, oh man, like that's that's something that I'll never forget. And then I'm like, oh right, actually I did. I totally forgot about this part until just now. But it does if you if, yeah if you can lower. I completely agree with what Joshua just said. If you just lower, bring him down, bring him down a little bit, and you know, and I think that you could really enjoy it. And I, I, I did enjoy it much more the second time than I did the first because I knew where it was going to end. I knew where the finish line was. I knew when, okay, here's here's the beginning of like the build-up to the climax. I knew what the climax was. And then I was able to appreciate it more. Like, okay, I can see how this is, you know. like And like you said, on the page, it probably read. I mean, I'm sure it read very literary. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, probably really exciting to read that, yeah. you know. And especially, yeah, when you think about the action and the stuff that takes place, like, and it is. I think it's very telling that you've seen it twice, mm-hmm. and so we had a similar reaction for first viewing. And I bet I would have a similar reaction to a second viewing because even replaying it in my mind, I'm like, "Oh, this film has a lot of value, mm-hmm. and there's a lot going on." Um, but even when we went and saw it last night, mm-hmm. um, Mike, uh, who's the programmer for the um, Alamo here in San Francisco, 
um, you know, got up and did that thing that I don't always yeah. like, you know, where where I, I try not to do this and I celebrate cult films, so I'm allowed to do it because they've already got their audience and they've already proven themselves. But if I'm ever, you know, introducing something new, which I do occasionally, especially to an, a midnight audience or a genre audience, I actually will go out of my way to understate the introduction um, mm-hmm. for this very reason. And Mike kind of got up there and was like, oh my God, oh, yeah. you have no idea what uh, you're in for. Yeah. You know, like it's hype man. It, it he just, went full hype and man. And then like 20 minutes into the movie, I'm like, stay awake. <laughs> stay awake. What were they talking about? Like, did we see the same, you know, and that now that it's all over and mm-hmm. I kind of can think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see, you know, especially if you don't know, if I didn't know, mm-hmm anything right. the movie would have been a lot more effective yeah for me. yeah yeah it's almost like and that's why we want to sort of counteract the mics of this world <laughs> and, to, and, to, and just you know have that, that 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 pinch of salt and just be like all right let's just bring it down a little bit because this is i mean the fact that this is a first time filmmaker this is his first it's such an incredible accomplishment um especially for a first-time filmmaker. And sure. so there's a lot to appreciate about this movie. Um, it, it, it just, to me, it's more like an academic, historic exercise, um, academic, historic aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, than it is like a horror movie. And that's what makes it so fascinating and interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, no it's one's done of, it before. No. I mean, that that's the thing. Like, I was thinking about it t- today a lot, and I was like, that's where the real value is. And that's... And, and even playing with that notion of like, okay, at this time in history, we know that these people really believed this. Right. So much so that they killed people for these beliefs. Mm-hmm. And they so, – so he presents it in this way that that's where the real brilliance is, is, is the scariest part is, wow – religion or whatever you know this mm-hmm. fear of the mm-hmm. occult and belief in it right. both in in god and also in these witches leads people to you know behave in horrible ways and how over you know the course of time you know yes some things have changed but look around the world like we're still dealing right. with this all the time so mm-hmm. without being too spoilery um yeah. do you feel like this is one of those movies where the scare is like kind of like a hell is other people thing like is it that the the terrifying thing is that people respond to fear and terrorize other people more than like there's a ghost or there's a demon. It's it's pretty it's pretty dense. That was actually one of the audience questions last night was for uh, the filmmaker and was like, so what's really happening with the this this character of Thomason, who's the the teenage girl? You know what is what is to blame for what happens over the course of her arc? And then he kind of laid out all the usual suspects of like, well, is it is it a cultural criticism of Puritan, you know, Puritan religion and, and fear? Mm-hmm. Is it is it is it a sort of a feminist critique of like the fear of female power and sexuality? Is it is it is it evil? Is it supernatural? And That's and the a dire- great question. Yeah. And the director <laughs> was like, he's like, all due respect, I'm not going to answer that. OK. <laughs> he was like, it's all of those things. You named it all. You know, he's like, it's 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 all of those things. Like, it's for you guys to watch. And so the director set out to make a movie that he wants you to see and discuss and debate and chew on it. And okay. uh, so I don't think it's as, that sounds as, great. I like the spin on the movie. I mean, going back to the only horror movie I've ever seen, Rosemary's Baby, it's that whole <laughs> feeling of like the world is lying to you and the people that you trust are like right. deceiving well, you, which is like the scariest part mm-hmm. of. That's why I think the Rosemary's Baby um, parallel is actually the most accurate for mm-hmm. me, like because it's about a community's reaction to things mm-hmm. and secrets mm-hmm. and beliefs and whether or not these things are real or right. not. 
And and even while you're watching this film, you you're wondering. And I don't want to give too much away, but there is a question if you're an avid moviegoer, you know, anyone who goes to movies. Oh, is this going to be the thing where he shows us that none of it's real right. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's all in their heads and it's the humans that have, you know, so I'm not going to say what, it, right, what yeah. happens because yeah. that question's obviously kind of going to be there if you're someone who goes to the movies a lot because right. it's a, you know, a trope we're all familiar with. Yeah. Um, and what, but what I did like about this film, especially is that the performances are so rich that mm-hmm. even mixed with the horror you are looking at every character with the sort of suspicion yeah. that they're looking at each other with. You yeah. know, are you a witch or aren't you? Right. And I thought that was very well done. You know, yeah. he did it really effectively. And even though I didn't understand what they were saying, that's why I want to see it again. <laughs> because um, I really, not just because the language was challenging, right. but because like we literally couldn't hear. Um, I still, you still got... I, those were the moments I got swept up in the most. Mm-hmm. And always in great horror movies, I think that that is kind of the, you know, the the mist, you know, where Stephen King sets mm-hmm. the, the grocery store as the background and everyone's trapped and the monsters are all outside. I mean, Stephen King loves playing with religious people mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. monsters, right? Right. So, so what's scarier, being trapped in a grocery store with your fellow human beings, some of <laughs> whom are like crazy religious you know nuts or is it going out and facing the monsters and there's yeah. a lot of that in there's, this yes you know there's a lot of that here for sure so you mentioned earlier that you are a hype man for cult movies uh, yes well mm-hmm. no you are a cult movie aficionado and promoter you think this movie has the potential to be a, a cult movie down the line i i think it'll be considered a good horror movie i don't think it'll become a cult film in the sense that I don't think we'll be going to witch screenings 20 years from now. I could be wrong. I feel like with a lot of the cult movies that they, you know, brought up that are great cult horror films like A Rosemary's Baby and especially The Shining or The Exorcist. Those were the three that were brought up last night. Maybe Repulsion. I forget Repulsion. what the other Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you say Rupulsion? Rupulsion. <laughs> <laughs> Jason. We you know you're gay, but come on. Um... Uh, <laughs> um I feel like with all of those films, they have a a, a much um, larger sense of humor and sort of a wider scope as far. I mean, The Shining Mm -hmm. has a wicked sense of humor, you know, Um, The Exorcist, you know, I mean, the fucking, you know, your mother sucks cocks in hell. I think for that kind of... Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's Baby. Ruth Gordon, my Mm -hmm. God, you know, um... And this is devoid of really, I mean, really any sense There's of no humor. humor. There's at no all. humor. And I think that's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard sell to get people to kind of show up for something over and over again right. that's humorless. It's not fun. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not fun in the slightest. Yeah, it just doesn't have that undercurrent of, of, of black humor that all those other things have. They do. And, and people who want, you know, that not that they're going to, you know, avoid something dark, but even a Suspiria, a Repulsion, mm-hmm. like those films, they have, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a wicked dark mm-hmm. camp right. to it, mm-hmm. a real camp. And this is pretty devoid of, yes. I mean, anything, you know, stark. like that. Yeah, it does it really not is. get any starker. And even the cosplay movie. would be pretty boring. It would be. Yeah. <laughs> it would be. I mean, if people showed up drunk for a minute screening of this, they'd be asleep in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so... Given that when the audience sees this, Alamo will have fixed the issue and technically God it will willing. be fantastic. What's the rating? Binge it? Consumer moderation? Send it back. I would say for me it's consumer moderation. I can't quite say binge it. I can't give it my highest rating because I, I, I think for all the reasons that we've discussed uh, that it is 
you know, it's a remarkable achievement, but it's not the kind of movie that I'm just like, oh, this is immediately one of my favorites. For sure, it's going to be on my year-end list. Like, it's not going to be on my year-end list. Uh, so I, I really admire it and I appreciate it. Uh, and there are parts of it that are very effective. And I think it is a movie that does grow on you with repeat viewings. Because mm-hmm. uh, he has, Robert Eggers has made a very a very dense, uh, very meaningful uh, piece of work. And it's sort of decept- it's very deceptively simple on the surface, I think. Like, you, it, it seems so... It seems so black and white uh, and so sort of like, just like Joshua was saying, just a classicist witch story. Uh, but there's so much more going on. Uh, but still, I'm going to give it my, my my middle rating just because people need to temper their expectations. Yeah, is this one of those wink consumer moderations where you just don't want to say binge it to add to the fire? Mm. Like <laughs> secretly? That's that's how I feel. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I feel. I would say this, consumer moderation, but know that it's like such a super strong recommendation that people check this out because mm-hmm. it is so unique. It is so different. It's, uh, it's received maybe... A, an amount of hype that's going to do it a disservice. Yes. So to to say binge it almost feels like we're counter yeah, counteracting our recommendation to kind of lower your your expectations. But I also would say, especially for your genre listeners, that there's this sort of been well, there has been an exciting, refreshing um, movement to make uh, clever and you know new horror movies. And so if you enjoyed things like. You know, It Follows and The Babadook and A Girl Walks mm-hmm. Home Alone at Night, mm-hmm. all of which have a certain pace. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much It Follows, but the other two certainly. It's a little slower, you know? Under the Skin, yeah, Only Lovers the Left skin, Alive. Yes, Only Lovers Left Alive. That, that, that I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. I am loving. And this, this glacial, fits into this. Glacial kind of, horror. Yeah, but it, it really <laughs> yeah, it it fits in beautifully. Um, so so it's like, yes, yes, yes. I really, really enjoyed it. And I enjoy it jo- enjoyed it tonight more than when we walked out because mm. I think I needed my brain to go like, wait, like that was it? Exactly what Jason was exactly. saying. Yeah. But a day later I'm like, no, everyone you should you should check it out. It's a grower, not a shower. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and before, so it's and, gonna be <laughs> it's consume moderation. Uh and um, before we wrap up, let's just say hi to my mom because she wanted us to say hi to her. <laughs> I love your mom. Hi. <laughs> And I and I I use my sheets coffee mug all the time. Thank you so much. She brought that to him when he was in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. that's so nice, Joshua. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Um, two questions. One: When are you coming back? Anytime. I love your show, and I love watching movies. Yay. And Jason and I often nerd out just talking mm. about movies. I it's my You're favorite. You're talking about movies subject. with other people. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all the awkward. time. It's got awkward. Oh yeah. Question two: Where can people find you? Uh, all the usual places, um, but but you want to search for Peaches Christ. So Peaches Christ, yeah. So on Facebook is Peaches Christ, and Twitter, and Instagram, and PeachesChrist.com. You locked them all down. Yeah, excellent. Thank you again. And the witch is out now, and rated R for disturbing, violent content and graphic nudity. All right, it's time for movie number two, which is The Club. A crisis counselor is sent by the Catholic Church to a small Chilean beach town were disgraced priests and nuns, suspected of crimes ranging from child abuse to baby snatching from unwed mothers, live secluded after an incident occurs. All right, so this is another one of those movies where we haven't learned another language and the uh, trailer is in another language. Uh, For this one, it's in Spanish, so no trailer for you today. Uh, But what you do have is a wonderful guest. Yay! 
should I introduce the name first? Or are you just gonna be excited no matter what? I'm just, I mean, like you're just excited. I think we she have... needs no introduction. <laughs> just start talking. Like her reputation precedes her. It's Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined by Lindsay Gephardt, who is on The Bloodlust, which is a horror movie podcast. What mm. is it? It's classy late, classy broads, talking horde, and a token dude, and a token dude. Yeah. So I am one of the guest hosts I fill in because I'm so afraid of horror movies and they originally had a woman on who was supposed to be that person and she is a normal human being whereas I am absolutely terrified of horror movies I get terrified during commercials I get terrified <laughs> mm-hmm. um, thinking about trailers for horror movies trailers I have not seen yeah so I'm kind of <laughs> this really extreme person that they use to watch horror movies and, and laugh at me right yeah she's like the mascot of the bloodlust that's which, a pretty amazing amazing job like to who signs up to do something like, that they absolutely it's hate like counter to do. programming yeah and then you and then, then you're, you like a, you're like a crash test dummy it's, for the bloodlust <laughs> it's really hard because I hate horror movies but I love attention so <laughs> I get torn in that she, way it's a sacrifice she's willing to make. Exactly. What? What do you? How? How are you guys compensated there on the bloodlust? Because what's going on here at the binge is pretty, pretty abysmal. <laughs> what's your compensation package like? Is there a bonus structure? It's it's mostly just all of us sending each other ridiculous cat gifts. I get no. compensated that way. Are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna steal her away, Jason. Ah, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's what you get for yelling at me drunk every week. <laughs> this 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 narrative about my behavior is just getting more and more overstated with every passing week. <laughs> um, so you're joining us from Brooklyn. You've brought. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Here's where we here's where we say that you guys might hear some special background vocals this week uh, from Lindsay's loving husband Pete and their daughter Evelyn. Uh, who are in the next room doing their very damnedest to keep it down. Uh, but but only so much can be done uh, when you're dealing with a person who doesn't quite understand that you need them to keep it down because mommy's recording a podcast. Yeah, right. she's 15 months old. Yes. So we should clarify. It's not like I brought like my yes, 10-year-old yes, her, daughter. Yes, her belligerent 12-year-old bitch daughter. Who's <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck about your stupid shit, mom. <laughs> no, not yet. Do we have to not go hang yet. out with those old, those old queens exactly. again? <laughs> Not those fruits from college. Why do you still talk to them? God. That's what we all wonder. Yeah. Um, so you guys watched the club yesterday. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Last night we had a we had a screening. We had a screening of the club here, and uh, and and we had been warned about it because you, Rebecca, watched it first. I did. I was the uh, parrot in the cave. Yes. <laughs> Mine. The- Mine. It's also definitely not a parrot. <laughs> the canary. The canary. The canary in the Look, mine. I don't know what you guys have in Pennsylvania, <laughs> but in Ohio we have parrots. Where we my people come from, we classy, send parrots into caves. Classy miners. You know how much better it'd be with a parrot because parrots can talk. Canaries just, just says sing. the one word of like everybody run or like no help. help. <laughs> Why don't they use parrots? This seems like a great idea. My gosh. 
<laughs> because parrots, uh, people love parrots. <laughs> no one cares about dirty ass canaries. Really? So that's why they're just, they're, they're, they're disposable. People still buy canaries in the store. Well, yeah, but then they drop over. And I'm, yeah, because no. they're cheap. Because they're cheap. Like, no, it's not because they're cheap. It's because they're tiny. So that when yeah. the oxygen gets too thin, they die faster. See, he doesn't know either. So don't listen to him. <laughs> he doesn't know. Well, I knew what the saying was. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched also, the movie first. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, parrots, people care about more. They're exotic. Not where I come from. <laughs> Just baby parrots. Not in Northeast Ohio, they're not. <laughs> Run-of-the-mill parrots. Okay, so I watched the movie first. <laughs> yes. This is so much more fun you than the movie is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie does not treat its animals kindly either. No. No, no it doesn't. No, it's, it's like parrots in the mine, but it's greyhounds eating glass sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing, you monster? <laughs> it was so extreme. So we've already established that I am a I am a person that cries at any animal situation. Yes. But this was so extreme, and I was already so like beyond the point of being able to feel anything else. I, I was just like, I'm I'm a dead person watching yeah. this. I can't even be moved. I can't even be upset. Right, you were to the point of numbness. Yeah. Because I texted you while we were watching the movie toward the very beginning when I had no idea where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. We were just like, oh no, like they're going to take that one priest like old dog away. Then he's mm-hmm. gonna he's yeah. gonna be sad. And and I texted you. I was like, "Wow, all the dog despair in this. How'd you make it through?" And you were just like, "You have no idea." <laughs> and I, I did text. not. I did not. But um, to, but to be fair, they don't eat the dogs. Correct. Because that's like a worst case scenario in my mind. That's true. And, so, yeah. And that didn't happen. That so everyone true. who's afraid of that, they do not eat the dogs. There is a, a movie coming out a few months where that does happen. Really? That we'll be talking about. See, yeah. I, it's sad that we have to talk about all the movies in which dogs, something horrible happens to. Mm-hmm. Because movies love to use that as an emotional that. device. And it's horrible. It works. It works. It works. It's like, why can't we just have nice dog reaction shots, like in The Choice? Like in The Choice. (laughs) (laughs) So would you call this movie a Blackley comic commentary on individual responsibility like they did in the distributor's official summary? So, yeah. So I I had definitely been picking up the messaging since this movie first started making the rounds. And this was supposed to be like a dark comedy. Really? Yes, and 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 I guess because it had been positioned as such by its its representation, and so I was like thinking like, okay, like this is gonna get like kind of funny. It's gonna be satirical. <laughs> well, it's gonna be like a skewering of like this kind of awkward comedy of manners. Like, and you know, it had you know, if it was like a Todd Solon's movie, mm-hmm. oh right, it would have been a dark comedy. If there's one man in the world who can make a dark comedy about a house full of excommunicated priests, some of whom are pedophiles, then it'd be Todd Solon's. This is not a funny movie. You just don't know Chilean humor. I, I, I admittedly don't. I think that's what it is. I admittedly don't. Maybe this is what passes for humor in Chile. <laughs> <laughs> they like their drinks strong and their yeah, comedies. Like you should see full the, of dogs eating glass sandwiches. You should, you should see their version of Modern Family. It's not <laughs> not pretty. Not it's pretty. all it's all Sofia Vergara's though. So there's a balance there. <laughs> every every part is played by her. Oh yeah so not 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 Lindsay. did you find any any humor in this film there was a point in which i laughed um but i think it was a, a it was the scene with the olive oil that i don't want to spoil but there's a scene with olive oil and a fist well now i'm spoiling oh yes, oh yes yes yes, um, yes and that actually made me laugh but it wasn't it was because i was thinking about how in Brooklyn, um, the olive oil they like to really sprinkle like red pepper in it, mm-hmm. and I was oh, thinking that God. in Chile, I was like, I don't know what the olive oil is like there, but I hope that there wasn't a bunch of red pepper in there. 
<laughs> that's why I started laughing. But Fair. that's just because there's something wrong with me mentally and emotionally. Fair. Fair. <laughs> but it's not, no, it's not, it's not funny. And so I know that sometimes when movies are in a foreign language, it, it can the humor can be lost because you're reading and, right. and reading isn't as funny right. as hearing. Right. And you can't read their tone. But it doesn't matter. This is not a movie where I think that it would have made a bit of difference if it no. was even if it was dubbed or if they were speaking English. Right. It was not funny at yeah. all. It's so harrowing. It's so wrenching. It's so disturbing. It's so just upsetting. So like it's not it's not even like it's like just not funny. It's like the opposite of funny. <laughs> it is yeah. it is it is very 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 hard to watch. It is it is it is a challenging film to watch to sit through and to to read. <laughs> There's lots of things that are said in this movie that once you've seen the words on screen, I think actually seeing it on screen yeah, made it worse. makes it worse. Yeah, I agree. Because then it, like it really is is it's <laughs> to use one of the words favorite one of the movie's favorite words, it's really penetrating through <laughs> really penetrates through a little bit more to your thoughts to your brain seeing the words on the screen and being like yep that's what that would look like if written into a sentence but i have to disagree with jason in the way that he saw this movie versus the way i saw it i did not think it was honestly that difficult to watch i didn't think it was that harrowing i didn't think it was that disturbing but i think that the reasons for that is one um not that I'm any way here representing what I do um, for a regular job, but what I do is I work for a documentary film nonprofit, and all we do all day is focus on extremely difficult human rights issues. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that I grew up Catholic and I grew up around this kind of controversy. My priest was arrested in real life. So none of these things to me are really that shocking or mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. to watch. And that's, I think I'm a little bit more like, well, the movie to me was very um, flat. Mm. And I wouldn't actually say it was boring, but it, I was far from engrossing. That's for sure. I think I think what I what I thought wasn't flat, but what I did think was unexpected where not we were talking before about how it's so not a comedy was that I was expecting because things get so bad that it was going to take a turn where at least there's some kind of redemption for any of the characters the the perpetrators of these crimes these priests are so indignant and um so full of themselves they justify everything they've done in this way Mm -hmm. that makes you hate them that I wasn't even expecting to have to feel that way we like so not fun um and then there's again as we mentioned for like the fifth time so many animal things that happen at the end which just really yeah i mean to be clear when i talk about it being hard to watch i'm talking about especially the final act uh leading into the kind of because there is ultimately redemption in this movie uh and it all turns out to be reflecting this movie i was thinking it's kind of like the kind of movie where you don't even know what to think about or what to say about it until it is actually ended right Mm -hmm. because it's only Mm -hmm. after the final scene that the whole thing comes into focus and you're like oh okay i get it like i I get what this whole story was like leading up to because you're certainly you're wondering (laughs) yeah you don't you think you you kind of assume where you think it's going to go and it doesn't go in in a lot of the ways no kind of would would expect it to no so it's hard to talk about without talking about that last scene but it is certainly a movie that is it dwells in moral ambiguity like you don't know what mm-hmm. to think about any of the characters there's you know there's no uh there's no one to root for per se at the beginning uh whenever uh you know at first you're thinking this nun who is there sort right. of like yeah. leading yeah. these dudes 
um, is maybe she's there to be like the mommy figure who's like the upstanding moral leader and who's going to like take care of them. And that was an amazing, it was amazing acting and shooting job with her because mm-hmm. they really, the way they like styled her at the beginning and the way she acted in the beginning was very sweet and soft. And then yeah. at the end, like when things kind of take a turn, yeah. you, it's all like harsh angles There's this and one lighting. cut to her face. We're like, yeah. She's yeah. making the most like demonic face. Yeah. And that's <laughs> they're like shadows and her features. Yeah. And it was really... No. Things have changed. So you think that she's going to be that figure, and then you have this guy come in from the Vatican, this Jesuit come in from the Vatican mm-hmm. to kind of, and we don't know what he's there for. We don't know if we're supposed to be rooting for him or not. And then even like the victim himself, right? Uh, there's in you know in the story we have this one victim who had been uh, victimized by a character who was briefly introduced in the beginning of the movie, and but he is, he is, and I I don't know if this is even like correct to say, but to me he wasn't even. He was sympathetic, but he was so gross and disturbed and so such like a big, like fucked up drunk lout. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, even though you could mm-hmm. see, even though like cognitively, you know, he is this way because, because he, things, was, yeah. he was he yeah. was repeatedly violated as a child and he never had a shot, um, you know, having that happen to him at such a young age. But that doesn't make it any more pleasant to watch him on screen be so, so awful. Right. And so, like, it, it's not a movie where it doesn't really give you anyone. There's no one that you're in this movie that you can just be like, oh, well, at least, then, you know, this person's on screen. Now I can relax. Right. Now this, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that that never happens. And it uh, doesn't want to tell you what to think about anything, which I admire. Uh, I was, I mean, we were all rooting for the dog. Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. Because we were all no, rooting absolutely. for the dog. Mm. And then it was like, oh, of course oh, they're right, going to do this shit. Of course they will. Yeah. Yeah. I did not actually know when I was watching it, um, that this person who is a vagrant, I didn't, I wasn't sure in the beginning if he was actually telling the truth or if he was just yeah. a right. crazy person. I was confused. We all had that San Francisco lens on. Yeah, this one. exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, is this a real thing? Is this not a real thing? Um, and I also, in terms of the the female character in the movie, one of my biggest notes is I have a huge issue in movies where you take a character and you have a character do something that is completely outside of their personality, in my opinion. And whenever I see that in a movie, and I feel like that is something that happened so much in the past couple of years, where they'll think, you know what we could do? Like the writer or the director, they'll think, you know what we should do? We should take this character and we'll just flip them on their heads. Mm -hmm. Which is fine if you give me any indication that this character is capable of this behavior. Mm -hmm. But But to have a character all of a sudden, you know, 10 minutes before the end of the movie, do something that... It, to me just feels off and it didn't give me any in my opinion didn't give me any indication that this character was capable of this and mm. then to flip it on its head to me it just seems like you're doing it to as a device and as a way to um, make the movie more compelling in a way that isn't very genuine hmm. and and so that that was my issue with that whole scene is that I just said I don't think she would do that I just yeah. don't there's no indication Unless, I said, the only way that she could have done it is if she's a sociopath. If she's a sociopath, sure. But Mm -hmm. there's no indication to me throughout that entire movie. And when she tells her story about herself, Mm -hmm. um, which I believe was true. Ah, see, I I wasn't at that point. See, I can tell that you didn't think it was true anymore. But I, I just kind of felt like this character would not do this thing. I felt like they all had their, you know, they had their justifications and when they kind of tell their stories. And I felt like the way that they handled their story was was really interesting Mm -hmm. because you wanted to know and you don't know for a while, like, what each priest is in there for. Um, 
But I, I think that that whole crack that you're talking about is kind of how these people all worked in a way at the beginning for so long where they were in touch and they got a little bit of autonomy and then they worked in the system where they're all awful and but they have like a, a peaceful co- you know relationship. But then once things get difficult or um, they stop being this like character there in this house and they have to be themselves, that's when they all turn and they're all just terrible. They kind yeah. of go back to that. So I felt like she, that was always her and she was just kind of like putting that on the back burner while she was taking care of these priests in this house, like having a task and just sort of like living. Um, but then once things kind of don't go her way, her like terrible self comes out I'm, and same with all of them. I'm just trying to think of when. So and we can just we can, you know, we can allude that this this woman is responsible for one of the acts uh, against a dog that we're referring to. And this is the act that we're discussing. Um, so sh- they show her like sobbing hysterically afterward but then they also show her with that evil look in her eyes like mm-hmm. watching it all yeah. play out like i did this i'm trying to remember when she was crying if because i think someone was like comforting her when that happened it was the jesuit the jesuit mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like was she crying for his benefit yes yes yeah, absolutely yeah. yes okay um and the funny thing about him is when they introduce him the the way they introduce is that he is beautiful. Yeah, and, he's, yeah. And, we, and we were like, "What?" Right, I know this like this bishop or whoever who brings him in is like, and he ends the introduction with like, "And he's a beautiful man." And we were it's like, "It's just uh, Chilean hospitality, man." <laughs> You're like again, if you watch their Modern Family, you would see it's really customary. It's called stuff. night terror. That's how it's translated. It just, it just made me wonder if like when they when they said that, I was intrigued because I'm like, are they like just giving like throwing him like a, a you know like a, a bone to them? Like is are are they like yeah lust after this guy? Yeah. You know, like I thought at first it was they were almost encouraging them to like work out their any of the guys that had like homosexual tendencies. Like here, like go to town on this dude. This, that was your filter. That was my filter. <laughs> I of course took it to a gay porn place where I was like, ooh. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit gay. This got interesting. Did you think he was? Do you think he's attractive? Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I he's think attractive. he's he's attractive, he's sm- but he's, he's weird looking. Yeah. Like, weird. Attractive. I mean, he's lean, and I think it it helps that like the rest of the cast of this movie is like a kennel club. <laughs> um, too, so he didn't really have any competition you don't think that that woman was beautiful i mean for men oh okay i was gonna say i think that woman is very beautiful and they she was really willing to go the yeah. the ugged up route right she's not going to charlie's throne <laughs> no not places. full monster no but she's not full war you can tell that they go out of their way to really ug her up and yeah but yeah, in terms of the dudes, yeah, the Jesuit priest was 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 the lone beacon of like handsomeness in a sea of like gross old men. Yeah. So it didn't take much for him to. to the pop. whole movie is pretty ugly. It's filmed yeah. in Pacifica. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a little San Francisco joke. Uh, it's filmed in the. It's, well, it takes place in this coastal town. If it was in Pacifica, at least their house could like crumble into the sea at the end of it. That would have been a really <laughs> appropriate finale. A really great finale to this one. Oh, it's a missed, um, missed one. Yeah, there's no sun. It's cold. Um, everyone dresses. They even make a comment about how the one priest dresses. It's like Chilean priest normcore, like to the extreme. <laughs> um, so everything's pretty pretty gross. Yeah, yeah, it's not a pleasant movie uh, at all. And I think that you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's people keep comparing it or drawing the parallel between this and Spotlight. Which is really just a loose tie to say that they're both yeah. about... It's just a matter of timing, you right. know, because like yeah. in, in Spotlight, we have, you know, not only is it about the issue of molestation, but there's a scene where one of the investigators realizes that there's a house just a block from him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is one of these kinds of rehabilitation houses for, you know, offend, offend uh, offenders, priest offenders. 
Uh, so uh, it, it is interesting that it's around the heels and you watch that and you're like, oh, I wonder what life must be like in one of those. You don't have to and, wonder long. And then this movie comes barreling in like, well, here you go. But Chile style. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the reason why I think this is interesting for me, as I mentioned, is that my priest had been arrested um, and he, he was found guilty of um, being a child. I don't even know what the, a pedophile 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 Mm -hmm. and the reason why my feelings about this are so strong is that i knew when i was growing up that he was Mm -hmm. a pedophile and i used to constantly tell my my mother and my parents that he was a pedophile but this was back in the 90s and i think that they thought i was joking or they thought i was exaggerating but i mean i knew kids know that's the thing is that kids know you could totally tell yeah especially i don't know we had a similar situation and there, there's definitely a, a different way that these that certain priests talk to boys that was yeah, completely different. It's like you didn't even exist as a girl. Exactly. There. Yeah, so he, he totally ignored the girls, paid way too much attention to the boys. Um, if anyone wants to look him up, he is Father Ken Shotner, and it, he was arrested in Hamilton, Ohio. That's where I'm from. So if you want to fact check this, feel free. Uh, <laughs> it's a matter of public record. Uh, he, you know, there were so many signs, and I think that once we found out that he had been arrested. I was uh, at Kent State already, and I drove all the way from Kent State to Hamilton, which is about a four-hour drive, just to walk into my parents' house and to say to my mom, I was right, and you were wrong, and I was right, and you were wrong. <laughs> and I did this dance. And my you know, my mom said that she felt bad and that she had seen some signs too, but she just thought it was just kids being kids. Mm-hmm. And I said that would never, never, never happen now. And I think that it's great that that would never happen now. I think it would happen now. And I think that it the the situation you see it in spotlight a little bit and not not so much here because they don't really they don't really touch on it. But like, I don't think it happens now in. Um, affluent neighborhoods or yeah. good schools. Yeah, I guess I should say that. And in, in the situation in which I grew up, I do not believe that it would happen again. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's still pla- there's definitely places in the world, maybe not so much here in America, where like the church and priests play such a big part in like you could you're going to grow up to be nothing, but mm-hmm. if like a priest takes interest in you, right. that's like a game changer. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the movie Doubt, that's that's the whole situation oh, yeah. with Viola uh-huh. Davis's son. Yep. Uh, that when it when it's brought to her attention this is happening, she is like, look, I I, I can look the other way, right? You it's know, a she, it's an opportunity, out. right? She's like, you know, he's you know, she's like for for a black boy in this parish to have the father taking interest in him that can change everything for him. So if he can just if he can just just grit his teeth and get through it, mm-hmm. then this this will help him, and it's it's something that I have to be okay with. Uh, so yeah, I think that it's, it's it's that predatory nature, you know, because it normally is. It's not like the kids who come from great families necessarily and come from wealth. It is like the ones who are, you know, like who are maybe hard luck cases, mm-hmm. whose parents mm-hmm. are just so grateful that the church is in any way involved in their family's life. Right. And which right. makes it all the more heinous uh, because it is such a gross exploitation of, of, yeah. of privilege and of authority, uh, which apparently, so this director, his name is Pablo Lorraine, and uh, he is very. Uh, all his movies are about Chilean politics mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. about um, the the um, the Pinochet dictatorship regime as well. And uh, so I was reading some reviews today that were kind of referencing that in terms of like, oh, there's Pinochet imagery all through this movie. And I was like, I knew that. <laughs> 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 I did not know that. Uh, so the extent to which we can appreciate that for this is just to be like, this movie is about the abuse of authority and uh yeah. and so for like for a chilean audience especially a chilean audience that remembers the pinochet years they will see this movie and see like layers of meaning and significance to what it's about 
Um, but so I had never, I did not grow up Catholic. I grew up Protestant. And uh, so this, which, which, you know, there, we have our own barrel of snakes of issues. <laughs> uh, so this was, this was never an issue that I really came across, but I do have a lot of experience with the subject of, of, you know, suppressing your sexuality because you feel like it's what your religion needs you to do. And, uh, and, and, and the kinds of insane things that start to happen to your brain when you do that. And, uh, so in, in, in it's, it's just, that's why I feel like at the end of the day, you can't ever co-sign any belief system, any code of living, uh, that requires that you deny such a, a, a significant, important, yeah. visceral part of yourself because that will always turn out ugly. Yeah. It'll always turn out ugly. And, uh, and I am not making a connection between, I'm not saying that gay men who deny themselves turn into pedophiles. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, right. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. But I am saying that anytime that you are trying to, to just push that all down, 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 uh, it's always going to manifest in very, very ugly ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we all know that the, that the priesthood and, and possibly, you know, I'm sure also women who decide to become nuns, that is a place where you can go and hide. Yeah. And you can hide whether you want that, you know, whether you have issues with pedophilia, um, you know, you could have sexual abuse issues, you could have, mm-hmm. um, you know, homosexual tendencies, whatever it is. And that's a place where you can go and hide. And the one thing about this film that also bothered me a little bit is that I wish that they had really tried harder to make that differentiation mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. You, that because you are homosexual does not mean that you are a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that gray area still exists so strongly that you have a character in this film who talks about how he is gay, but he did have a sexual situation with a young boy, but all they did was breathe in each other's breaths. So they put that gray area in there, right, mm-hmm. into the film. But and- doesn't the the uh, like the spiritual advisor kind of t- try to make him separate those two thoughts? Oh, I, I think, thought they kind of had a confrontation where I think he was that like... He, I think that he's trying to get him to tell him more mm-hmm, and is trying mm-hmm. to get him to admit more. Because uh, uh-huh. that man is very, you know, he's manipulative. Mm-hmm. He's very, very manipulative. Absolutely. Right, very yeah. strategic. Yeah, so he's saying whatever he needs to say to get what he wants out of this character. But that is the one thing that he said that I thought, I, every single time they do this, it's it's just so, to me, it's like you need to make that differentiation so strong to people. Because people are going to watch this film who are religious, and they're going to be like, well, they're they're slippery slope. Mm-hmm, slippery exactly. slope. This is what happens. This is what happens. Not that any not that any religious fundamentalists are going to accidentally watch this movie. <laughs> uh, but if they were to, if Fox News were to hear about it, they could be like, and here's another movie that proves that gay men are perverts and that you know gay men join the church so they can hide behind the dresses and that they can touch little boys because it's all the same thing to them. But I could see Catholics watching this movie. And I could see, I could see, I, like, I have relatives who are Catholic who mm-hmm. I could see watching this movie out of curiosity. Hmm. And, you know, or people in, in Chile <laughs> watching it. Those minors. Everyone oh, there. Oh, too soon. They're I, fine. They all made it. Oh, it was just the parrot that died. <laughs> Damn it. It and, all goes full and circle. Scene. Good callback. Good callback, Rebecca. <laughs> this review needs some more laughs. <laughs> 
was like, actually, it's funny that you have me here because usually I'm the one cracking jokes the whole time. I We're know. having the one. This is like the most serious it really movie is. you serious. can have me review. Yeah, if you guys want to hear Lindsay cracking him up, uh, then go check out the Bloodlust episode in which they talk about the movie The Forest, which you. Uh, oh yeah, that was. Which, good. if you're longtime <laughs> listeners, you've heard us talk about as well. Is that the one where you guys reference Jason and someone says Jason did that, and they're like, "Who listens to him?" <laughs> <laughs> I believe Lindsay I think said it was that. Susan. Yeah. Or it was Lindsay. Yeah, no. it was, I would only. I'm the yeah, only one was, who would be allowed to make that joke. <laughs> right. Yes. I can make that joke. No one else. Can. Yeah. No. Amy was just like, "Well, other people have talked about this movie," and it's like, "Who? Who has? No one. No one has. <laughs> <laughs> no one's talked about this." Yeah. And I was like, "Except for except for Jason." And by the way, fuck that guy. Yeah. You know, Jason? <laughs> so we had to have her. Yeah. <laughs> we heard that. We're like, "That's a kind of moxie spitfire energy we want on our show." It's now missing. watch the club. <laughs> yes, yeah. and now watch. And, well, also it's because before I wa- went and watched the forest, I had had to go to a liquor store across the street from the movie theater at like two o'clock in the afternoon and buy some vodka so I could get through it. <laughs> it was horrible. She suffers for art, ladies and gentlemen. I know. <laughs> and I was like, I'm I'm normally a very responsible wife and mother. Everyone <laughs> for that one, I did not make it. And actually, I was totally sober through the very very sober. We were very while sober we were watching while the watching the club. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay was. I, I was going to say, you that. had like one glass of wine. I, I had I had some rosé to get through it. Yeah. And I knew that it had maybe somewhat like challenged my perception of it just because like there were some really obvious things I didn't notice that Pete noticed <laughs> that we were talking about afterward. And I'm like, and what even was that about? <laughs> and he's like, oh, that was this. I'm like, oh. So yeah. there's always that, that, that humbling moment when you realize that, yeah, you got drunk and missed something and you're supposed to be the critic. Well, no, it's more like the straight guy got something. I know. Ugh, it was, it was the a, worst. It was humbling on many levels. So before we, give, before we give our overall reviews, one thing that we were talking about is that we actually had to explain to Pete what these different tests were that you guys have been discussing in your podcast, what they were oh, uh-huh. and the way that they work. And um, he... He had so many strange and interesting things to say about them. <laughs> but the one thing that Jason and I discussed about this movie is whether it passed the Bechtel test. And right. I said it did not because there were not two women who had a conversation with each other. And he said, oh, no, it does because the the nun went up to the woman who sold fish and said, can you give me a fish with no head and, do you, and 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 I said, but she didn't respond. <laughs> and I said, I think in order to pass the Bechtel test, there has to be a back and forth conversation, at least two sentences. Yeah. I mean, even that, I think that that's a very loose yeah. win. But I said, no, it, she never responded. And Jason said, oh, she never responded. And I was like, see, that's how little. Well, that's that's well, Chilean Chilean hospitality right there <laughs> and business. And they don't respond. You guys need to study up on your <laughs> cultural. You're behind. Jeez, Rebecca you has been cramming all day for this one. <laughs> well, and I wasn't sure because she she then and the 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 fishmonger says something to the dude in the scene. Fishmongress. Fishmongress. Fishmongerette said something to the dude in the scene because of Chilean man dictated that she could not speak to a woman directly. I guess. I don't okay, know. you're learning. You're learning. Um, yeah, see, I'm getting there. But um, but but yeah, and and as we you know, and we can talk about this. And there was even. There was an article I sent Rebecca that uh, my friend Ingu wrote about mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. about the um, the Bechdel test and how it had been it had actually been adapted in Sweden mm-hmm. to an yeah. actual grade, an actual score that was like awarded to movies and theaters. So they were actually like incorporating in a much more official way, and it had like a po- it had positive results. Yeah, and had positive results. But she Ingu starts the article by saying like, however, like spectacularly flawed the Bechdel test is, it still you know is it's 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 an interesting rubric to apply. 
And, uh, and so that's the thing, because then suddenly you could have a movie like, let's say, looking back at Deadpool a week ago, uh, a movie that has like four really interesting female characters, but mm-hmm. none of them actually speak. And so somehow it fails the Bechtel test. Right. So right. It's, it's not it's not a flawless test. Uh, but this movie, I think, but in any event, just has we can all agree has one female character. Mm-hmm. For, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. yeah. it has one female character. Yeah, there's, I think, three women who speak at some point throughout, sorry, throughout the entire movie. Um, yeah, because yeah, there's a prostitute, there's a fishmongerette, and... and yeah, tropes. and then the, and the nun. <laughs> and there's so, the nun. So I've got I've to say what Pete said, and I cannot wait to hear Rebecca's response to this. He said, so you have to have this test, and in order to pass the test, two women have to have a conversation. And we explained, you know, that there's all these movies that are made in which women only have the same conversation about the relationships they're in with men. And that's Mm -hmm. the only conversation they have. And he said, you know, well, so it's okay that you need to focus on this. But when's the last time that they made a movie that was just for for straight men? (laughs) I he was not. and, And Pete is a feminist and Pete is very he's very liberal. And I said, I said, yeah. And while we're on that topic, why isn't there a White History Month? <laughs> it's like, I was like, I can't. all lives matter, buddy. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, that is so embarrassing that you just said that to me. Yes, and we have a long history of, of, of Pete putting his foot in it in conversations, <laughs> in which Lindsay or maybe may not have had a few that ends with her screaming, "Shut up, Pete! Shut up!" <laughs> as a cisgendered white male (laughs) Uh, so but this in particular and then as soon as we explained i said to him i said pete every movie is made for you every movie is made for sorry but cisgender white males they Mm -hmm. are and Mm -hmm. so as soon as he said that he started to back up he started he started he was like backing that truck up real fast (laughs) but it was so i I think sometimes you need to say something out loud and hear it before you know (laughs) before you realize oh that's how. Oh that yeah, that's how that sounds. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I get Shouldn't it. Shouldn't say that. As soon as as soon as we said it, he, I think he got it like pretty much immediately, and he was like, oh. And then yeah, so he was like, okay, I accept that. But then what did he say? He said, if there gets to be all this test, test, he wants the Schmidt test. Oh. The Schmidt test is when two straight cisgendered white males have a conversation with each other about something other than being in a relationship. And I said. And I said, 100% of movies will pass it. Yes. <laughs> I said, maybe not Tangerine. Yeah, that's the only that's movie. It. Yeah, and that just made us love Tangerine more. Oh, yeah, Tangerine. <laughs> but you know what? We should we should rewatch it. I will rewatch Tangerine and see if it passes the it Schmidt test. Does. You know what movie I recently watched? I uh, should have seen it earlier, but was just trying to catch up for Oscar season. And we, it, it, we think it came uh-huh. out before we started the podcast. Uh, the Martian? Yeah. Talk about passing the Bechdel test. Does it? Yes. I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. I was trying That's to remember. I'm asking you to talk about it, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it, because, okay, I mean, so it's there's, there's Jessica that... Chastain, there's Kate Mara, there's Kristen Right, Wig. so there's that there. And it, but it, other than that, just, I guess, the specifics of that, but there are a lot of, like, women in power uh-huh. making decisions, um, and there are a lot of uh, characters of color that are in power making decisions, which is right. great. I mean, there's still, like... Right. It's a, it's a, it's a diverse cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll give it that. <laughs> Even though it's ultimately about a saving all the earth pulling together its resources to save a white dude. Right, but I mean would it be worse if it was like a white dude saving the earth? Like he's he's at he doesn't have a position of power because he's like, you know, Babies have opinions on this. They do. She will not be. She will not be ignored. Uh, but he's like the victim. You know what I mean? All I'm like, saying is that Matt Damon has been saved twice now. This is okay. the second movie where Matt Damon had a whole movie built this around is the third. himself. Saving being Private saved. Ryan, Interstellar. 
he, that was that was Matthew McConaughey, you racist. No, they go to oh, that right. at the... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I already told you about I sometimes think all white people look alike, but I you know. shouldn't hold it against me every time. Oh my gosh. This is as bad as me watching the Grammys on Sunday. Oh yeah, there's a lot of confusion. About? Just general, I, general well, havoc. it's just me not knowing who popular artists are. Yeah, um, and having kind of older references for who they seem like. Who like, I think people are that I'm wildly incorrect, apparently. Like, during, <laughs> during Kendrick Lamar's performance, she said, so was he, like, trying to be most deaf or something? Oh, no. <laughs> but was that this was... KRS-One? <laughs> <laughs> that was better than Pete, who during the Bowie tribute, when Suffragette City started to play, was like, wait, that's a Bowie song? It's like, oh, guys, <laughs> it's a delight watching with you two. <laughs> yeah, really clueless. You guys should come back more often. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, by the way, we live in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to give the club? Um, I mean, for me, it's a consumer moderation. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that it's, a, you know, I don't think it's a send it back, but certainly I can't say that it's uh, I can't say that it's a binge it. Oh, uh, that just sounds yeah, can gross. Can you imagine? Yeah. It sounds disgusting. Pedophilia. Binge it. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I'd, I'd say that, you know, it, it, it has some, and Lindsay might disagree with me on this. It has some, you know, some redeeming aspects. I think it, 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 it sort of, it gives you a slice of life that hasn't been given to us in a movie before. Like, I can't think of another mm-hmm, movie that's been mm-hmm. made that's really about this, the extent that this is about this. And it's not even really a about you know church abuse it's just about like psychology yeah and denial and self-righteousness and uh so i think it's a fascinating character study mm-hmm. it does get very unnecessarily brutal in its final act mm-hmm. um but uh but overall i'd say it's a consume moderation Lindsay, first i would like to say that i love your guys's podcast oh, and um yeah. i think that jason is always far too kind when he actually gives his final you know consumer he gives consumer moderation at times where i just think you just said you hate this movie but you don't (laughs) want to be mean because in the end even though jason like he likes to put up this wall but he's a nice person no i'm gonna edit that out (laughs) (laughs) no podcast is over (laughs) okay so i i said after it was finished this was my feelings is that there are two there are two reasons why movies need to be made. One is that they are entertaining. They entertain you. Two is that they are telling a story that needs to be told that hasn't been told before. This movie to me does neither of these things. Mm-hmm. I don't like any of the characters. I don't believe that if these characters were real, they would behave this way or be like this. And it was not entertaining enough for me to sit there and be like, what a dark comedy fill, filled with giggles. <laughs> so I would say, absolutely, fest. <laughs> I would say absolutely send it back. There's absolutely no reason. Send it back. Do not want, do not waste your time watching this movie. And there, it's not like there's bad acting. It's, you know, it's as well-written. I said, basically to me, it seems like they took this, this writer got put into a room and they were like, look, you got to write a movie about a shitty town in Chile. And you got to write it about like five priests and a former nun. Let's see what we come up with. And they were like, "Oh, no this porn. is this is the best you can do." And this isn't this is the best you can do with this subject matter. But like, why are you why are you making this movie of all the movies that you could make? Well, of all the movies you can make about that country, I'm sure that there's much more important stories to tell. I, I have no idea. I just completely lost. So you're giving a send it back, Rebecca. So I am a masochist, and <laughs> this movie has all of the things that I love. Um, it's tight and small. 
Um, it's dialogue heavy. Um, I think the character development is great. Um, it's I, I love how they they were like basically on a vacation by living this this way that they had been for so long. How people act when they have to act a certain way. What they ha- what happens to them after they have to be their true selves. Um, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I can't say binge it because I don't think it's for everybody. No. Um, I think that it would be hard for a lot of people to watch this, and I totally understand that. So for that reason alone, I'm giving it a consumer moderation. But otherwise, I would I would probably have given it a binge it. I would give myself, if I were telling myself in the past, <laughs> from three days ago, I would say binge it. But would you have warned yourself about the dog stuff, I would though? have. I would have, yeah. 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 Fair enough. So the club is out now, and it's not rated. But if I could rate it, <laughs> I would give it an R+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> New rating, guys. I think it would probably be like a PG-13. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. For graphic violence like, and well, just extreme the sexual, language. The sexual dialogue would definitely put into our territory. Yeah. Definitely. So that brings us now to our third movie, which is A War. Company commander Klaus Peterson and his men are stationed in an Afghan province. Meanwhile, back in Denmark, Klaus's wife Maria is trying to hold everyday life together with a husband at war and three children missing their father. During a routine mission, the soldiers are caught in heavy crossfire, and in order to save his men, Klaus makes a decision that has grave consequences for him and his family back at home. So once again, this movie is in Danish, so we don't have a trailer for it. Yes, this, um, week, this week we're all about foreign bummers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that is the theme of this one, foreign bum- Well, the witch isn't foreign, right? No. So it's the witch and two foreign bummers. <laughs> and that's the binge is binging at you this week. It's going to be the binge cover band. Hmm. Um, so this is a perspective on the war in Afghanistan um, from another country in the NATO coalition, not from America. Um, in this case, it's Denmark. Um, how do you feel this differs from the movies we've seen with the American take on it? I mean, it'd probably be a lot easier to try to find something where they're similar. <laughs> uh, how, like, how can it's because it, like even describing the movie, like right before you know, we just took a break and I was talking to Lindsay about this movie's about, and even describing it, I felt myself wanting to be like, but not like that. Mm-hmm, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's about a guy who's in Afghanistan. And then his wife is at home raising the kids, but not like that. <laughs> Man, it's so all I could think of again is, and I almost regret seeing this movie for more reasons than I originally. But thirteen hours, thirteen hours now. Yeah. Anytime there's a war movie, mm-hmm. all I remember is how awfully that that created those characters and how mm-hmm. that's not how things go. And yeah. and yeah. just yeah, even talking about families and that movie was like so in your face. Yeah, this, and this movie it's so subtle and so realistic. This is such an antidote to to thir- you know to thirteen hours to American Sniper, uh, to basically any mm-hmm. American movie that's been made about any of the wars in the Middle East. Right. Like I feel like this like if you've watched any of those, you should almost be forced to watch this movie to be like, okay, like mm-hmm, let, let's mm-hmm. bring it way back down and let's show you like a really like nuanced, uh, really respectful uh, version of the story because it, it has a very like the, the filmmaking is very verite. It feels very fly on the wall. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. feels almost sort of documentary style. This is a movie that's not about politics. It's not about patriotism at all. Like those things don't come into play. No. Um, so and it shows like it, it feels very, very lived in for the first half. Um, whenever we're just seeing we're basically seeing a marriage playing out in two different countries because we're seeing the husband in Afghanistan. We're seeing the wife in Denmark. And they, you know, they're talking on the phone and they're each kind of, you know, fighting their own wars. 
uh, on their own. Uh, you know, she's on her own in Denmark and, you know, trying to raise these children and deal with the school and things mm-hmm. like that. And he is in Afghanistan, you know, leading this this battalion. And it gives them equal, uh, kind of gives them equal shrift. Right, yeah. Uh, like, it doesn't say, like, you know, it's not like American Sniper, where it's like Bradley Cooper for like 90% of the movie. And then like every now and then he like calls Sienna Miller and she's lounging around looking gorgeous on the couch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's it's not that. Like it, it, it gives it a much more equal balance between like this picture of this man and this woman and the way they're both impacted by this. And uh, and then, so this is the kind of movie where the first half is one thing and then it very completely abruptly changes. shifts into a completely different movie. In this case, it goes from being like we're talking about this very naturalistic drama um, about you know a married couple separated by a war to a full-blown courtroom drama mm-hmm. uh, because there is uh, there is a, a skirmish that erupts in which our male protagonist makes a decision in the heat of the moment and and then it, it ends up killing civilians and he is court-martialed for that uh, or he's 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 put before a tribunal trial, yeah yeah he's put he's he's put to trial um, to defend whether or not he was within his his you know his boundaries whether he he had the the PID to right to, was it like a person of interest so it was basically I, I feel like something? it's like probable cause it's basically yeah. like whatever it's like the version of probable cause and um and so but then when it turned into a courtroom movie all I could think about was where to invade next the Michael Moore movie we talked about yes. last week because it is they're so respectful that <laughs> like was, I was like I was wondering if it court. was actually when you had mentioned like the maximum sentence is like four years or something right and I, and I was thinking like oh is this the country that Jason was talking about we're talking yeah about no I think next? I think that was I think that was Norway okay um but still just like seeing seeing what like a courtroom procedure looks like mm-hmm. in Denmark like in like in, the, in for instance like there's there's a, a really um, strong female character uh, in the role of basically the prosecutor or mm-hmm. in this case they call her like the judge advocate, and um, and like the movie doesn't demonize her. It is not just like oh this bitch who's trying to get our guy thrown behind bars. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> like like it, it doesn't like it presents her as like she she is there and she's doing her job when she gives her closing statement. It's so respectful and mm-hmm. she like she basically There's just no like grandstanding. She, yeah, she basically praises the guy for like if she's like I'm sure we can all understand why he felt as conflicted as he did mm-hmm. and and his and from all accounts he's a wonderful serviceman and like it was just so it was like oh can't we we all please be adults like this in America right. the way that this movie makes it seem like we're adults in Denmark I didn't even think about it at the time but now that you bring it up you wouldn't even know that he was a Danish soldier unless you knew that the movie was Danish like right. I feel like that would never happen in an American movie right because there'd be It'd lots be of USA and flags and right, right. lots be... of it because the spirit of America is this exactly like, there'd be lots of that you and... would never know yeah that, that this was of a particular country right and I think great. and I think that might be part of why it's it's titled so um you know, a sort of ambiguously, not descriptively as a war, mm-hmm. because the war in question ultimately doesn't even really matter. Right. Uh, you know, it has in common with, you know, the core, the core kind of uh, aspects of any other war where it's like, well, does it involve everyone who's there? No. Uh, you know, like, what does it matter what it's about? At this point, it seems like it's the kind of thing where it's it's years after the the real core of the battle. And now we have these guys who are left behind just doing like, you know, like peacekeeping humanitarian uh, missions. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why are we here? And uh, and I think that's a question that is is a common question asked, of, asked by servicemen and service women. Like, why are we still out here? Why are we still, you know, like, so it doesn't matter what the war is. And it doesn't matter, like, this, the alleged, you know, the politics and, and the patriotism. So, like, it's it's just sort of, it's just the, the backdrop for 
a more, you know, a more meaningful story. Even the way they frame, like, when he comes home, you know, at, at around the time where he gets sent, he gets sent home. And I feel like in other movies where you see this, like, uh, soldiers coming back and, like, the mm-hmm. Hurt Locker and stuff. Um, and, and not to trivialize the experience of war or, like, what no. that, how that affects you when you uh, re-enter civilian life. But um, there's, like, there's still this, like, macho way of, like, and again, I'm not talking about 13 hours again, but it's like, <laughs> you know, like a, uh, a warrior doesn't know how to retire or something. Right. But here he's like, he's just very like quiet. He just has he's lots of scenes where he sits smoking on the back on the porch patio. smoking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that handled very differently than American movie. This kind of reminded me of, have you seen the movie Brothers? Uh, yeah, it was. A, oh, I didn't see the original. I think I saw the remake with Jake Gyllenhaal. With Jake Gyllenhaal. So yeah. I was kind of afraid that this was going to happen to this movie because yeah, I saw I both, and it was handled. They were handled in a. I I believe that was also Danish, a Danish yeah, way, was. and then an American way. I had that thought too. I was like, oh, this is totally going to get an American remake. Who's going to be in it? Oh, God. oh, you know who well, should be in it? Because this guy looks like the Danish Joshua Jackson. That's what I thought too. I thought <laughs> Joshua Jackson crossed with Michael Shannon. Oh yeah, but cuter but than cute, both of yeah, them. Yeah, because actually, like, yeah, attractive. Because yes. Michael Shannon's not. I mean, I would say no. I mean, Joshua Jackson, <laughs> to be clear, is a sex god. Uh, <laughs> Pacey, Pacey forever. Um, but yeah, so I think this would be a great role for Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll put him in the leading man territory. Wait, which which one is Josh Lindsay's Jackson? Lindsay's still here, by the way, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He was Pacey on Dawson's Creek. No, I've never saw that. He Give was me in, what was reference. that show? Like, um, he's on The Affair. Um, oh, yeah. He was in the movie Cruel Intentions. Has he been in a movie or a TV a show comedy. that's about magic and it's for teenage girls? Because then I've probably seen it. <laughs> no? No. Is he, he's, wait a minute, is he married to that? Diane Kruger. The, yeah, the, he's married the thin international one. screen siren Diane Kruger. Oh, really? Is she that famous? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's uh, she's she's one of those. I think of her as like one of the one of our contemporary international screen sirens because you know she she does films in a lot of different languages and she you know she can do something like Inglorious Bastards and oh and uh, and and you know she she I just feel like she has one of those timeless faces that like she's like a modern day like Catherine Deneuve Sophia Isn't Loren Isn't she just like really pale Those skinned. women are still alive by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I said modern day. Okay, okay. <laughs> she's like pale skin like blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. She's like the perfect she's, German. she's like the perfect Nazi stereotype for you. I'm really glad that you found <laughs> yes. that person. You're well, like it's like she like embodies America know, to me. There's something about her that I feel <laughs> so like if, There's something about her that I feel like I feel like if you don't look like her that maybe you should be killed. <laughs> no. Okay, so this movie passed the Bechdel test. Um, there's, I was trying to think. There's one scene where two he, women talk about each other, talk to each other, and I can't think if they talk about him or just how hard things are for it, her. In, is it because they show? Yeah, they show the the wife um, like talking to other moms at the school. I think, but I don't think they talk about him. So I'm going to yeah, give it a maybe pass. I think it might pass, and I think this is also one of those cases where, like, you know, the the wife is such a well drawn character. Yes, and uh, and given equal footing with the husband, mm-hmm. and uh, and her her circumstances are not in any way trivialized, no. uh, just because they are not as life or death as his. And then you know the prosecutor, uh, the head judge, right? Yes. Uh, so I, I think that this movie is responsible uh, in that sense. And then, although we didn't actually we didn't do the Duvernay for the club. Um, we didn't which, which I wanted to because you're so um, Rebecca gets really <laughs> uniquely opinionated about like movies set in, in South America and whether or not the people in them are considered people of color I don't know this one's hard because it's on Chilean terms so if we were talking about this last night too yeah we were I, I'm I 
you know, I, I am not a person of color, but I do. So weigh in on this. Yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to, but I have a mouth. Okay? I was just say, but, but as everyone here knows, I'm a white person. So I have lots of opinions right. and I'm correct because I went to college. Um, <laughs> Two times. I'm, I'm feeling, <laughs> yeah, twice. Uh, master's degree so listen to me uh so no uh, i do feel from a couple of the comments that were made by the the characters in the movie that they consider themselves to be the um caucasian end of the mm-hmm. spectrum mm-hmm. because the yeah. yeah because the one priest was saying that you know they were helping out you know people who were yeah 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 so that's what i was picking up from that but yeah agreed right so so Aww. that so that one might pass um wait that one would not pass for the well, I thought you were saying the but, Duvernay, right? Duvernay test well, but, because the, the but I thought a couple of them, but that would mean a couple of them would be. No, everyone in the house they were talking about right is okay other is people Caucasian. who were like oh got it okay they were all yeah. Caucasian yeah okay so that one does not so that one would not pass. Um, this one well, but then but then but no, but the victim. At the, the very victim, least. The, the victim, victim was... is and the prostitute is. Right. Oh, great job, cinema. That's who we picked. <laughs> Shocking. Okay, so let's talk about well, the other... You know about Chilean civil rights. <laughs> <laughs> Night Terrors covers this stuff pretty thoroughly. Uh, well, wait. A little talk... kid from Night Terrors. <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> right, with the, the Manny of that show, if you yeah. will. Uh, so, and talk about the other test you read about in the article I sent you. Oh, what was it called? It's was like, it called? The, like the Cesar. Chavez? Yeah, or, yeah, Chavez something Perez test. And it was like, this is back to the, the test in Sweden. It was like, are there two actors of color who talk about anything except committing a crime? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that before. And also that is... Terrible. That is a very poignant test, though. <laughs> yes, it very is. poignant. It is, but uh, but bringing it back to a war, yeah, I I, I, I don't I don't know that it technically we, we think it might pass the Bechtel, and then in terms of the Duvernay does not. Uh, no, ever, but how does that work in a country I with know, a completely different like set of minorities and majorities? Right, and these tests are imperfect, and so like not they're not. It's not helpful every time. And we like this movie, and we always right. want to give a slide yeah. to the movies we like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we have to say that, you know, this movie is, you know, it's about a bunch of Danish dudes, and Danish dudes be white. <laughs> well, have, have either of you been there? Denmark? No. Have you no. been to Denmark? Mm-mm. Because another question that we could have would be, is it just that they all are white dudes, or is it that we think that they're all white dudes because right. that, that's how they're portrayed? Right. Well, we the other thing is, like, what is, what is the bigger minority in yeah. Denmark? Right? Or maybe a whole different kind of group of people that aren't, we aren't yeah. seeing that we don't even know we aren't yeah. seeing. So exactly. Well, so although, that's, that would be my yeah, question. But they're yes, all, all yes. actually, but there's all the Afghan characters. So no, I think that it, I think, oh. it, I think it would pass. But they're all talking about committing crimes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> not <laughs> so in the American version of this movie, that would be true. That would be very true. But that's one of the ways that this movie movie stands out because that's that's not the case and no. uh, they really go to great lengths to show like just the average work a day afghan families mm-hmm. that are being uh, affected by everything happening around them and they're trying to build trust relationships with the danish soldiers uh so i would say it pa- i would think it, i think it passes on both counts uh which is why this movie is our pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week pick 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 it's a pick, pick of, of the week. week um yeah definitely binge it pick of the week See it, guys. See a war. A war is out now and is rated R for language and some war-related images. Well, just for the record, does it pass the Schmidt test? Oh. Yes. <laughs> I didn't see it. You didn't have to think about that one. You're on good ground, Pete. You can watch this one. <laughs>
So that wraps up this episode, this long, long episode yeah, of The Binge. Super sized. Thank you again to Joshua Gunnell, who uh, joined us earlier for The Witch. And thank you so much to Lindsay Gephardt from The Binge. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, let's bring it back. <laughs> now from The Binge. Now from also, The Binge. Sorry. Exciting news, everybody. Lindsay's <laughs> yeah. moving to San Francisco and joining the podcast. She doesn't get paid. No one does. Nobody does. <laughs> no one does. Um, it's called The Bloodlust, and you can find it at thebloodlust.net. You can find them also at on Twitter at underscore the bloodlust underscore. They have what I would call a shit ton of followers. Yes. Um, so yes, that's and, rad. And we would like that, please. <laughs> um, oh, wow. They, there's 2,000 followers. I yeah, know. really that's, amazing. I know. How many do you think are like sex bots? Oh, at least 1,500. If you're a sex bot that follows the bloodlust, <laughs> please follow me at the Jason Leroy and Rebecca at Fight Balance. Um, and if you like this episode of The Binge or other episodes, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or on Android. You can find us on Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. Just go to thebinge.us and you can find all the new episodes there. Um, thank you again, Lindsay. Um, and goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. And Lindsay. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. <laughs>